Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Good morning, good morning. Hello, NCC. Can we give it up for Jesus? The whole reason we are here and alive and well and breathing. Come on, y'all can do better than that. We're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Savior, Redeemer. God, we give you glory. I'm so grateful, grateful to be with my family here today. You guys are family. I really feel that. I feel like I'm at home. And you guys have some amazing pastors who happen to be my friends. Can we give it up for them? Jimmy and I are so grateful for you both. Mark and Lori, you're dear to us, and my sister is here cheering me on, and I'm so grateful for her and her support. I have an amazing husband you heard a little bit about. 23 years of marriage to Jimmy Rollins. Yes. That is something worth celebrating. Because it's been about the best seven years ever. True story. And I have three amazing kids, Kayla, Jaden, and Maya Rollins, and they're 21, 19, and 17. I'm almost an empty nester, which is really good news. Yes, I know I look really young, but I'm 45 and I'm almost an empty nester. It's crazy. They need to write a book on that whole transition in a parenting. It's real. It's real. I'm so excited to be here with you guys and just share just what's on my heart Reframe Your Shame is a book the Lord put on my heart. I had to get my story on paper because I wanted, my whole intention is literally just to help people. That's it. I just want to help people. So today, when you hear me share a little bit about my story, you may want to grab one, not just for you, but maybe for someone you know. I'm a mom. As you know, I shared about my kids. I'm a wife. I'm a pastor. I may not pastor a local church anymore, but I pastor pastors now. <laughs> and um, I'm also a recovering alcoholic. Yeah, me. On this stage with this mic, I love Jesus. And about seven years ago, I discovered I had a problem. And here's the deal. Once I started my journey of recovery, it was the one thing called shame, this emotion, this powerful emotion that I realized had me so bound and perpetuated the toxic cycles of dysfunction that I was in. In 20, what year was that? 2013, I had this incredible opportunity to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. 19,341 feet in Tanzania, Mount Kilimanjaro. Y'all, this was not a small feat, okay? You know, we were pastoring our church in Baltimore. Uh, you know, I, life was going, so I thought, pretty good, at least from the outside looking in. On the inside, I was pretty miserable. I was so insecure about my identity uh, Jimmy's like trying to push me to get involved more in ministry. I was hiding behind the scenes because really I was hiding the fact that I was medicating my pain with alcohol. 
And he's like, you got to climb, champion this uh, water project. So we were raising money to bring awareness and uh, resources to remote parts of East Af Africa um, to build wells. And so I'm like, okay, it's four wells, water wells. I'm helping other people, so fine, I will climb this mountain, okay? Like, of course he's volunteering me. I'm like, why don't you climb the mountain? You know what I'm saying? So I get all the way to Tanzania. I went with um, his previous youth pastor from when he was growing up. She was really cool. Her name is Cindy Zello, and she runs a teen challenge. Anybody familiar with teen challenge? So good. It's ironic that I was climbing a mountain <laughs> with a woman who ran a recovery program. <laughs> because while I was climbing this mountain in 2013, I had no clue that this mountain that God had me climbing four water wells was going to be teaching me that I had some mountains to climb and conquer and overcome myself once I got home. And it wasn't just about my identity that I was struggling with. I was struggling with the shame, again, of, of medicating and abusing alcohol, but nobody knew that. I didn't even know I was really uh, abusing it, per se. I just thought, I needed to take the edge off. It's not a big deal. What's the big deal about a little bit of wine with dinner? Unless you're having a bottle, bottle and a half, two. So here I am climbing this mountain, completely unaware of the internal dysfunction and emotional unhealth and state of my life. See, I had made up in my mind that a dysfunctional marriage and being unhappy in my marriage was just gonna be my normal my life sentence. As long as I'm serving God, serving God's people, I stay behind the scenes, I'm good. I never wanted the mic, but I struggled with, am I good enough to be a pastor? Am I good enough to serve God's people? You know, I struggled with that, and I'm climbing this mountain with Cindy Zello, and she has been there, done that. This was her second time climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, and she told me everything I had to bring. There's so much stuff I had to pack. So much stuff I had to bring. I climbed that mountain, 19,341 feet with 30, 40 pounds of weight. And it had all my wet wipes. See, because I had, you couldn't shower for six days. So I had wet wipes for my body, my face. I had the antibacterial ones for my hands, the ones for the bathroom. Going to the bathroom outside is no joke and not fun. <laughs> and not for me. I am just so not the camping type. So... I'm carrying all this weight up the mountain, and I kind of started thinking about the weight of shame that I was carrying up the mountain. I kind of mentioned it to you guys. Just not feeling like enough. The, have you ever felt like the things you prayed for? You prayed for a spouse. You prayed for that job. You prayed for those wonderful kids. But they're a weight. They're a weight, and you're full of shame because you're like, aren't I supposed to be able to handle the stress of this? But it's hard. How many ladies out there can say, you know what, that superwoman syndrome thing, like, it's, it's a struggle. We try to have it all together. We try to do all things, be all things to all people. Am I alone? Y'all are quiet in here. But then we feel shame when we can't hold it all together and we start having anxiety and panic attacks because it's heavy. It's heavy. I, I did not know when I was up on that mountain that it was okay to not be okay. 
until Cindy Zello started sharing her story. She started telling me things that I'm like, people say that out loud? Because we had the no talk rule come, growing up. You didn't, you know, it was like betrayal if you shared things about the family or something you had experienced in the family because you were exposing the family. So I didn't know how to like get these things out. I didn't wake up in the morning and say, I'm gonna be an alcoholic, pick me, yay. It crept up on me y'all because of a lack of awareness of the addiction spectrum, because of the lack of awareness of shame, the emotion of shame. I didn't know the impact of it on me. I had no clue that my emotional unhealth and my lack of understanding of how to handle stress and betrayal and past trauma that I hadn't dealt with. I started having flashbacks of sexual abuse in my past, in my childhood. I didn't know what to do with all of these things. So I drank at it. And that glass of wine turned into two bottles, turned into fighting with Jimmy about how much I was drinking, turned into hiding vodka and water bottles, blackout drinking, can't remember the night before, but go to work all day, functional. So I can't have a problem. Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. See, y'all, the battle started in my mind. I had no idea that the shame and what I believed about myself and my insecurity was determining this downward spiral into addiction. Can I challenge you this morning with a question? I like the way the message version says it because it's the message version is like messy. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Would you take a moment throughout the course of this message and consider things that you might be easily conforming to? that are really the culture and what other people are saying and not what you believe according to your faith and what the Bible says in the word of God, which is the truth. Consider it. I ignored it, so I hit rock bottom. My husband gave me an ultimatum, either you go to rehab, this was in 2015, you go to rehab or our marriage is over. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no way. I'm a pastor, I'm a wife, I can't go to rehab. I don't have a problem with alcohol. I mean, you know, the signs are all there, the pattern's all there, but I was ignoring them. I was ignoring what the Bible says about overdoing it with drinking. Anything out of moderation is not okay. But I was ignoring all the scriptures that said that. I was ignoring the fact that all the signs were there, that I was isolated. No one knew. Not even my sister. No one knew how much I was drinking. No one knew the marital problems to the degree that we had them. Jimmy tried to shame me into stopping drinking. It didn't work. So for all y'all who have loved ones out there, which I'm sure is probably everyone in this room knows someone struggling with addiction, shaming them isn't gonna get them to stop. It actually perpetuates the issue. 
I hit rock bottom, ended up in rehab. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Talk about reframing, I can say that now. But in the moment, I was humiliated. My shoelaces being taken, searching my bag, I felt like I was stripped of my dignity. Talk about shame, I was like, this world is better off without me. There is no way anyone can ever find out that this pastor ends up in rehab. We're leading a thriving, growing church. Jimmy and I were sat down like we literally didn't speak or preach for about six months while we were going to counseling and getting healthy and, you know, um, our pastors, every pastor needs a pastor. Our pastors got me to go to, uh, when we finally got honest and open about our issues we were having, I got to rehab and we started this journey of recovery as a family and we all got well because the person in the addiction gets all the focus. But really, do you know that all the loved ones, you're just as sick emotionally as the person in the addiction. So you gotta take care of yourself. Even if they never stop drinking, if they never stop using, if they never stop gambling, if they never stop with their porn addiction, with their sex addiction, whatever it is, you gotta take care of you. I ended up in rehab and then I Jimmy and I discovered that, you know what, recovery is not a bad word. Recovery is not a bad word. Recovery actually applies to all of us. And I can prove it to you because recovery means a return to a natural state of health, mind, or strength. The action or process of regaining possession or control of something that was lost or stolen. Hmm. A return to a natural state of health, mind, or strength. How many of you in this room have lost something? Something's been stolen, whether it's your innocence, your reputation. All of us have something we can recover from. It's not just for those people, the addicts. It's for all of us. We all have hurts like divorce, betrayal. I mean, grief. We've all lost someone in here. We all have hangups like unforgiveness that we have to struggle through. <laughs> Perfectionism, where are my perfectionist people at? Dear God in heaven, I need deliverance. <laughs> Striving and achievement, it's a thing. That's a hangup. It can be hung, become a hangup. I was in rehab with people who were there because they were workaholics. Their adrenal systems crashed because they were so high on adrenaline all the time, working, 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 working. We can all become addicted to a person, a thing, a substance, if we're not aware that something may be out of moderation in our lives. We're all susceptible to having habits, hurts, hangups, and habits. You know, before I went to rehab, I didn't know that shopping addiction was a thing until I met some people who had badges and they, it said, cannot go into bookstore. <laughs> like, they literally were not allowed to go into the bookstore because they had racked up so much debt, credit cards. I started preaching about four years ago, sharing my story publicly, and I remember somebody posting cut up credit cards, 50, over 50. They cut them up. 
that was their thing that they were using to take themselves somewhere emotionally. It's not just about substance. So don't look at me up here and be like, oh, that's not my story. I can't identify with that because it's alcohol. I don't have a problem with alcohol. Okay, but you may have pain pills in your purse right now or in your pocket, gentlemen. You went in there to just get a little pinky toe surgery, bunion surgery, <laughs> and they gave you some pills and suddenly you find yourself hooked. Yeah, it can happen to all of us. Phones. Gaming, anything out of moderation in your life, I want you to take a look at and consider. Before God could reframe my shame, I had to understand shame. What was shame doing to me? How it was impacting me? See, shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by a consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. a consciousness, but then unconsciously, it's an inward issue. It's the most powerful emotion that human beings experience. It's inward, it says, I am bad. And I believed that script, but unknowingly, here's the deal, unconsciously and unknowingly, I believed that I was worthless, unacceptable, fundamentally flawed, so broken that God couldn't forgive me. See, this whole church thing that I was called to and God was giving me the influence and like anointed me in my life and gave me the skills and abilities to create an environment so other people could come and experience the freeing power of Jesus Christ and be forgiven. But for some reason, I didn't believe that his grace applied to me. That's what shame does. It's deadly to our self-esteem. It prevents us from truly being, loving ourselves and allowing other people to love us. My relationship with God, I get asked that question every podcast I do. Like, what was the state of your relationship with God? It had a lid when I was drinking. It had a lid when I was stuck in the shame game because I couldn't look at this father, I was hiding. I was hiding from him, just like Adam and Eve did. Because I didn't feel like I was worthy enough, good enough. My relationship with God was suffering and my relationship with my family and people around me, it would only get so far, because I had this wall of shame. Hiding, isolating, not showing up and being my authentic self. So I'm climbing this mountain in Kilimanjaro, like, just like, God, what do you want me to do when I get home to I-5 City? What is my role in the church gonna look like? I don't preach like Jimmy's mom. I don't preach like Jimmy. I am like totally polar opposite different. I was so insecure. You know that when we're in shame, we overcompensate? Any of you know the people who always one-up you? They always have to have something better than you. You share an exciting thing, and they're like, oh, well, I went to France, when you share that you went to, I don't know, the Bahamas. Well, I went to France, I went to Italy, I went to someone who's always like just one-upping, overcompensating, for, because they really don't feel that great about themselves. They're the people that are bullies. 
We've all experienced someone who had to put you down so that they could feel better about themselves. They're putting shame on you. Shame gets so heavy. All of us in this room have experienced shame. Whether it's viral, um, something went viral, you said something that you shouldn't have shared. Like how embarrassing is it? Like I literally looked up on YouTube road rage. Y'all should try it. <laughs> These people 100% feel the emotion of shame when they see that their moment that they experienced some road rage got caught on camera. It's so bad. And like we don't need the internet to put shame on us. We shame ourselves enough, just in our thought life. I realized when I was going through this recovery process how bad my thought life was. I literally verbally abused myself in my thought life. You're not enough. You suck. You're never going to be a good speaker. You're, you know, I mean, I would take, take myself apart in my own mind. I didn't need anybody else to shame me. Anybody guilty of that? So here's the deal. When we experience the emotion of shame, we go into fight, flight, or freeze. And that was me. I didn't realize that the reason why I had all this anxiety inside of me is because I lived in a constant state of shame and fight, flight, or freeze. So you're not meant to stay there. Can you imagine your nervous system? My nervous system was on overload. No wonder I reached for something to cope. No wonder you may be tempted to reach for food, to ease your emotions, take the edge off after a long day. But it's getting out of hand. My limbic system, our limbic system, part of our brain literally gets activated when we feel the emotion of shame. So we've got to learn how to look at shame, recognize it, and I'm going to take you through a process of how to reframe it so it doesn't have to, we don't stay in fight, flight, or freeze, but we process through it in a healthy way. Because we're not meant to carry around all this shame, y'all. It literally creates mental health issues, anxiety, depression. I had no clue that shame causes anxiety and depression when we don't deal with it. Because in rehab, they labeled my file toxic shame. I was diagnosed with toxic shame. Alcoholism was just a symptom. The root issue was shame. Oh, so yeah. I got out of rehab and I was like, I'm gonna study this thing because this thing got me once, but you're not gonna get me again. I'm gonna become a student of shame. I learned that you unpack shame all through life. You're supposed to let it go. You're not supposed to hang on to it. It's an emotion that was created to signal us to do something. Survival was what God created it for. But we can't stay in survival mode. What kind of freedom is that? It's not freedom. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I'm going to read it real quick for you because it kind of lays the framework for the, the ways we're going to read. God's given me three ways that we can leave here today to remember that we can reframe our shame and get free. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, actually, no, I'm going to skip down to, okay. 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Everybody say, looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the prototype for shedding shame. He tells us here, lay down the weight of shame and the sin that so easily ensnares us. It's so easy. It creeps up on us. We've normalized things that are not truth. We've normalized things in our day-to-day life that are dysfunctional. And we can't run the race of life. This race with endurance. We want to get to the top of the mountain. We want to conquer whatever mountain we're faced with in our lives. Whether it's infertility, whether it's you're, you know, you're believing God for someone in your family to overcome addiction. Like, whatever it mountain you're faced with, it's going to take, at some point, you acknowledging what's been heavy and weighing you down. So what, that, what might that be for you? Are you tired of hiding? Are you tired of rationalizing why you drink the way you do, why you use whatever you use? Are you tired of hiding the fact that there's mental health issues in your family, in you, that you might need some medication to help you be the best version of yourself? Are you tired of hiding behind hopping from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship? Are you tired of carrying around the shame of an abortion, bad choices you made, promiscuity in your past? I'm listing all things that we all, someone in this room, could be experiencing shame about. But God wants us to reframe it. He wants us to look at it different. That's what reframing means. Just look at something from a different angle. From, look at your circumstance and your situation more constructively. Reframing empowers us to grow, heal, recover, and experience less anxiety. It's a beautiful tool used in psychology. And we, it, it, reframing helps us get even better results from addiction and treatment of mental health issues. If we make a decision that we're going to look at something from a different point of view and look for the good in it. And I'm going to teach you some things. I'm going to weave in and out of uh, my story, but I'm also going to take you back up to Kilimanjaro. So how are you going to reframe your shame? I want you to follow me. Stay with me on this because you're going to see yourself somewhere in these stories that I'm sharing, okay? Number one, reframing your shame, you've got to focus on a greater future. And that focus, that greater future is on Jesus. We've got to focus on Jesus. Everybody say focus on Jesus. The word says it, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We've got to focus on him because shame has us focusing on what everybody else is going to think about us. No one can ever find out that I went to rehab. That's what I told the lady that took me, that flew on the plane with me. No one will ever. I'm going to take it to the grave. God has such a sense of humor, doesn't he? 
We're focused, shame has us focused on the wrong thing, on people. We're selfish. We're focused on ourselves when we're in addiction. But we're preoccupied by when we're going to get our next fix. I got to rehab. I was like, oh, woe is me. I am the victim. Jimmy is to blame. He drove me to drink. Yes, he stressed me out. But he drove me to drink. It's, it was all about, I feel humiliated. I am miserable. Me, me, me. It wasn't until I picked up my Bible, I was in the room. The first three days you spend in the nurse's station as you're detoxing. And they told me at first that the only thing I could bring into my room was my Bible. So I brought it in there. I flipped it open and I was like, okay, God, speak to me. Share something. And in it, it said Romans 8.28 when I flipped open the page. And we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. My focus began to shift as I began to focus on Jesus. The word of God spoke to me. And I finally brought all the things that were distracting me. Like climbing the mountain, the cold was distracting me. 50% less oxygen was distracting me. But I refocused when I got into my word. God's going to work all this out for good. All my yuck, all my past, all my shame, my alcoholism. Yeah, he can. He's doing it right now. I'm living proof of it. We got to, like, silence the distractions by focusing on Jesus. All the way up this mountain, we started summiting at 8 at eight. I'm sorry, midnight, and got to the top at 8 in the morning. Eight hours, pitch black, 50% less oxygen, couldn't breathe, felt like I was going to die, hands frozen, camelback water frozen. All I could do was sing, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. And all I could do was look at the woman in front of me who had climbed the mountain before, and she said, Irene, just place your foot where I place mine. Walk where I walk. Follow me as I follow Jesus. She said, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You can't do this recovery thing on your own. You need to be in Celebrate Recovery in a group, in therapy, in talking to someone, and focusing on Jesus, focusing on the healer. Psalm 34, 5 says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. So I want to encourage you to focus on Jesus in the greater future. And then number two, Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I couldn't accept God's grace for myself until I admitted I had an issue. And many of us are in this room struggling with the fact that we have some weaknesses. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. It wasn't until I admitted my alcoholism, until I said I have a problem with alcohol. My name is Irene and I'm an alcoholic. Did the grace of God come in and lift this heavy weight of shame off of me so that I could walk out a program of recovery? It wasn't until that moment, day 38 of rehab, yes, denial had me. Denial had me. But shame loses its power when we say it out loud. So I can boast now, the scripture goes on to say, of the power of Christ at work in me. So I can boast that I am six years, nine months, and nine days sober. 
and I am free from shame. I am free from shame. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, overcoming codependency. I'm an adult child of family dysfunction, and I also identify with overcoming alcoholism. It doesn't mean I am bad. It means I have weaknesses that God is helping me and giving me the grace to overcome. So focus on Jesus. Forgive yourself is number two. And number three, focus on freedom. Because I don't know if I'm reading this clock right. It says 32, so what does that mean? Do I have three minutes? Okay. So <laughs> I'm not sure if I have three minutes or not. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then it turned red, so I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm starting to sweat. Okay. <laughs> okay, no shame. Okay. Okay, 33. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. So, so number one, we've got to admit, admit our issues. Everybody say admit. admit. Number two, we need to accept God's grace. Okay, so can we accept God's grace as, like, he died on the cross for us? His purpose, his identity was to be Savior, Son of God, to save us all from sin. Why are we cheapening the work of the cross by saying his grace doesn't apply to us? There's nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So therefore, there is no condemnation. Admit, admit it to him. He will forgive you. Confess your sins to others that you might be healed. That's why we got to do it in groups. We got to get and celebrate recovery. Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step program where we renew our minds. We have spent so much time in dysfunction that we have made normal. The 12-step program comes out of Jesus' sermon on the Mount of, um, what is it called? Sermon on the Mount, yeah. Beatitudes, 12 steps. All you're doing is confessing that you have become powerless over something, saying that you need God in order to recover, saying that you're going to make amends with people. You're going to go and reach out to people and say, I'm sorry. Imagine that. So you can restore and recover in your relationships. The 12-step program simply it's biblical. It tells, shows us a healthy and a new way to live and renews these, the, our minds. The Bible and psychology have finally caught up. Psychology has caught up with the Bible. Because the Bible is chock full of stories of recovery, overcoming shame, renewing of the mind, new patterns of life. And as Isaiah 61, 7 says, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double and everlasting joy will be theirs. Who wants double of God's joy? I don't know about you, but I do. So we've got to forgive ourselves. That's all accepting God's grace. And number three, just focusing on freedom. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. The key to freedom is becoming who you truly are. Scars, flaws, past, and all. God loves you just the way you are. Would you stand with me? Because I want to pray with you. See, true freedom is having nothing to hide. I want you to close your eyes because I want you to 
start pondering and reflecting as the worship team comes. Reflect on something that might be stealing your joy. Maybe it's a moment, maybe it's a choice you made. Maybe you're using something to take you somewhere emotionally and it's becoming more of a problem. The consequences are increasing, but you're continuing to do it and you're rationalizing. So you're hiding in it. Perhaps you have shame about something, a choice you made, something that happened in your past. Maybe you've taken on shame because of an eating disorder or a mental health issue, or maybe you're experiencing shame because you've shamed yourself, body shamed yourself. God wants to set you free. He wants you to look at what you have been most shameful about and allow him to use it for good, not just for you, but for other people. Just like he did on the cross when he endured shame, he despised it. He reframed the shame of the cross because on the third day he rose again and conquered death, conquered shame. He showed us how to endure it. It hurts, guys, it hurts. Whatever it is you're, that you're considering that's coming up for you, that you wanna bring before the feet of Jesus and admit, God wants to change it from humiliation to freedom. He wants you to use it not just for you, but for others. There's freedom on the other side of you denying that it's impacting you. So I declare over you Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, devil, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. God wants to reframe your story and your greatest pain, your greatest misery was meant to be your greatest ministry. So would you raise your hands to him and surrender that thing to him? All of us around this room, would you do it? It's like an, having antennas that are saying, hey God, see me, I wanna connect with you. God, use everything in our stories, everything in our past that we have been shameful about, that has held us back. God, we confess it to you. Give us the grace now to walk out recovery and give you the glory, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's overcoming eating issues, whether it's, it doesn't matter how large or small, we give it to you. God, show us how to recover. Set us free so we can help set the captives free. And Father, for the one that's in this room today or online who is really strong, and needs help. God, give them the courage to reach out for help today. In Jesus' name, and the church said,